0: I would to go so far to um, say you no, know, we didn't make that mistake, because actually, we did in a certain way. When we realized that the market was so big because ecosystems were everywhere, what we did is we became very generalized with how we described our solution and our value. So we went from saying, we build products nice. that help your entrepreneurs find resources, to saying, we build platforms to help people navigate your ecosystem. And what we found is that we actually started like seeing lower conversions because we lost the applicability and the urgency in each segment. And in our mind, we were being brilliant because we were making something that we could tell (laughs) anyone.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Zero to Traction, a podcast about how first-time founders create startups at scale. I'm one of your regular co-hosts, JDM, aka Josh David Miller, and I'm here with my other regular co-host, the inimitable Cameron Law. Cameron, how are you this morning?
2: I'm doing good. Good to be here in good company and excited to talk startups and support you first-time founders.
1: Speaking of good company, we're also joined by two guest co-hosts for this episode, co-founders of a startup called Ecomap that we're going to hear about here in just a second. The first is Pavel Lepera. How are you, Pavel? I'm doing well. Excellent. So happy to hear that. And and the second is is Sherrod Davis. Sherrod, good morning.
3: Hey, JDM. Thanks for having me on. We're excited to chat.
1: Well, thank you guys so much for, for being on the show. We're going to be talking all about customers, which is just the foundation of any business. And so our theme today is that customers are like songs. And so with that in mind, we have some, some topics for you today. So our first, first topic, Endless Love, Why the Key to Success in Startup is Keeping Your Affection Trained on Problems and Not Solutions. Topic two, The Stranger, How Developing a Deep Understanding of Customer Personas is the Key to Forward Momentum. And topic three, Prove It All Night, the Transformation of Assumptions into Questions that you can ask customers. Hopefully you all enjoyed the shameful attempt at lyrical punnery that I made just then. Or maybe it just went off of everyone. This is a part of our continuing introduction series on the basic concepts of entrepreneurship. If you want to learn a little bit more about traction, some of the general concepts, be sure to check out episode one. Before we get too deep though, before we dive into those three segments, I want to learn a little bit about Ecomaps. So, so Pava Sharad, 30,000 foot view, what is Ecomaps?
0: So at EcoMap, we make it possible for people to navigate all of these invisible ecosystems that we live and work in every day. Now, we always have to clarify that we don't mean the green type, but we mean, you know, small business communities or tech ecosystems. All of those are these invisible networks of different people, organizations, resources, opportunities, activity. And even though a lot of our success, both in startups and pretty much every other aspect of life depends on our ability to navigate and engage with those ecosystems, they're largely invisible. So what we do is we go in, we gather a bunch of information about each of these ecosystems and we put it into platforms or chatbots so that generally you can navigate what's going on within Baltimore's small business community or the Sacramento tech scene.
1: Very, very cool. So. Who, since we're talking about customers here, who are Ecomaps
3: customers? Uh, it really runs the gamut here at JDM. We sell into universities, local state governments, regional private partnerships, large nonprofits, small nonprofits, corporate networks, foundations, I'm sure we'll get into this, but in, in some ways our gift is our curse. We started certainly in the entrepreneurial ecosystem space, but we learned quickly that ecosystems are everywhere. They're all made up of the same component parts, organizations, resources, people, as Pava mentioned, the interactive, the interactivity and the relationships between them. And by mapping them, you make those ecosystems more vibrant, more efficient. And so we've been able to leverage and apply the same technology across multiple different segments, which is awesome. But but comes with a series of challenges as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. But those are just some of the customer types that we work with. And so what is your, what's kind of the stage
1: of Ecomap right now? Like how, it sounds like you have customers in a product and market. Where, where are you on kind of on the big spec?
0: Yeah. So we always kind of joke that Ecomap was always kind of the kid who hit puberty a too early because we are further along customers and sales wise than our you know, typical companies at our stage. So we're a seed stage company. We raised our seed round in July of last year, but we have about 50 enterprise level customers. Ranging from everything from one person, you know, nonprofits to companies such as Meta and T-Rope Trice and you know states of Indiana, state of Maryland. And so we are in 45 ecosystems to date, I believe, and on five different countries on multiple continents, and mapping everything from rural business communities to entire industry segments. And so our team is 30 people. Located mostly here in Baltimore, Maryland. And so a little bit, you know, larger and broader customer base than many seed stage companies, but really kind of a product of how we grew. We ended up bootstrapping to a significant amount of revenue before we ever took on outside financing. So when we did, we were able to scale up pretty quickly.
1: Wow. You said five countries, 50 customers, 45 ecosystems, and a seed round from last July. That's right. Wow, okay. <laughs> I uh, I know a few founders who are brimming with envy at the at the <laughs> moment. 50, fifty enterprise customers at seed stage is is as you said a little bit a little bit outside the outside the norm. And so the is the product itself? Is it connective tissue?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that we realized early on, and really to your point about being married to you know, solving a problem and not a product or a specific solution, is that really what we do is we are great at getting information about these ecosystems, right? Because that is what is largely invisible. All of the data that is needed really exists somewhere out there. You can find somewhere on the interwebs information about the different accelerator programs or funding sources or mentors, but it is all kind of vomited across the internet, very decentralized, not possible to navigate. So what we specialize in is going out, gathering all of that and getting it into one data set. So you can say, here is everything that exists and what's going on within this ecosystem. Now for the past three and a half years, we have been putting that data into like online platforms where you can go navigate different databases to find, you know, funding for female founders at a growth stage in Maryland, right? Using different keywords, and saving that data, all of that. But over the past few months, We realized that our goal is to make this information accessible. And one of the most accessible ways to access this type of information is through like a chatbot, right? And so suddenly almost on a dime, we said, all right, I know we have spent three years investing in developing just platforms, but if we really do want to make the data about these ecosystems accessible, we should also look at ways that you can access that through, you know, a chatbot interface. And so we recently launched that as a new product and got a lot of really great response to it. And I think it's all about being married to solving that problem instead of us sitting there like, but we've invested so much time into the platform. Why would we add a new separate product? And it's because we're trying to solve that problem the best way we can, not being married to just what we've done before.
1: Wow, that's, okay, that's fascinating. I have have a couple of follow-up questions I think will go up great in one of our, in one of our upcoming segments.
2: Particularly about that about that chatbot, my interest is peaked. I think just in terms of that that last point of like loving the the problem and not the solution, I think that that might just be a good transition to to the endless love of the of the problem, right? And we often see a lot of founders come into to our doors, proverbial, could be actually walking into the to the center or you know maybe the eco map, those types of things, but they ultimately. They have this solution in mind and they're like hunting for what that solves, right? And so hearing your story and just in general thinking of this mindset shift that founders need to take is really understanding who their customer is, but what actually challenges are they trying to have solved? And I think one of the also differences that comes out is who is your customer versus user, right? And so in the case that you're hearing Ecomap, you do have this, this customer Persona: This person who's actually buying the eco map for their community, whatever that might be. But then they have a user that's trying to to ultimately engage in the platform. And so I'm curious of maybe how you've taken that persona, both from a customer, but also understanding the user's problems and maybe marrying some of those
3: in that process. I think uh, I think it's a great question, Cam. I think the unique thing about about our customers is that typically. They are um, innately involved with their users, right? So like our customers who we sell to, ecosystem builders, are in lockstep a lot of times with their users. And so we get a lot of feedback from the users by way of the customers. And oh, by the way, we are the users of our platform, right? Like we are building a business in Baltimore. Of course, we're going to use our own Ecomap in order to find funding options and accelerators, all space, whatever those things might be. And so it's one of those things where it's a real challenge, but also creates the opportunity for stickiness for us. Right. So we go in, we we sell a customer on the concept of ecosystem mapping, all of the benefits. And oh, by the way, we help them get the word out to drive adoption and engagement of the tool. And then over the long term, you know, users start to flock to the platform and, and we start to hear these little nuggets of gold, where a user found the funding opportunity right at the time, right? Yesterday, we published a guide on how ecosystem builders can respond to SBB. Everything that we do trickles from us to the customer, to the user, because that's just how the platforms are built. And so it's this really interconnected stream of communication between our team and the end user, all sort of positioning the customer as the hero in each of their ecosystems in a lot of ways. So I think we're uniquely positioned. And in-
2: I want to dive into that. And I saw, Pavi, you hopped off there. And one of the things that just stood out was that the customer is the hero. And a lot of times we get, well, the entrepreneur is the hero. They're the one creating the solution. <laughs> no. And it's actually, that's a really powerful thought is that your customer is the hero. Can maybe, Sharon, if you wanted to dive into that or right. if you wanted to add into like, What is that, and how did that practically look as a team when you were getting started, and how was that kind of ingrained in your ethos as a a team?
3: Yeah, we have this saying internally where we want to be in every ecosystem, but no one knows that we exist, right? So when we create a platform, the platform is created in the likeness, the image, the branding of the customer, right? It's very atypical for the end user to even know who Ecomap is. This is a tool that that we've created to enable ecosystem builders and beyond to engage with their audience, to engage with their stakeholders. And so in the bottom left of every Ecomap, you'll find a little small logo, but each platform is created uniquely for that customer with their information, their data, and their branding. And so that's one of the ways that that philosophy infiltrates into the product and the same thing is true with the chatbot right the, the chatbot will live on existing websites or existing platforms it doesn't have anything to do really with eco map it has to do with that customer and their ability and their hope to position themselves at the center of those ecosystems and facilitate the outcomes that they're driving toward whether that's supporting entrepreneurs or growing biosciences industries in their region, whatever it might be, this is just a tool to help enable them to be able to do that at, at scale and more efficiently. Yeah.
0: And I would say, I think the way that we were able to land on the product and one of the reasons we grew so quickly is that originally I was the customer, right? I had started this company because I experienced this firsthand when I was running the accelerators at Johns Hopkins. I was doing that at a very young age. Frankly, I had built, you know, nonprofits and small businesses before, but never growth startups. And so I really had to lean on Baltimore's broader tech ecosystem to help find the mentors and advisors to support the startups that I was working with. And through that process, I remember being so frustrated knowing that all of these amazing assets existed within this ecosystem, but there was no way for me to just point somebody into it. There was no way for me to just say, here's a list of everyone who is out there. And at the same time, I was watching all these different ecosystem building organizations do the same thing as each other, right? Really having duplicative offerings or events that were overlapping right? or accelerators that serve the same cohort. And I was like, this is madness. No, there has to be some type of product that shows you what's going on in an ecosystem. And when I didn't find one in Baltimore, we started digging deeper to see if we could find one in any ecosystem. And we couldn't. And that's really where we started that customer discovery journey, really, at first, to build a tool that I could use to help these students. But as we started doing that research, we realized that it was a much broader problem than we thought, which is really of the seed of the company. So it always came from that starting with solving something and originally i was the one experiencing it and so a kind of natural matter of product ended up doing so well with customers because like we started as the customers
1: so the customer as a hero concept that yeah. you guys are talking about what, you can take that a little bit more literally because it sounds like you have a largely white labeled product right sure. so instead of a a customer you know, being like, oh, well, check us, you know, check out our community on Angel List or okay. yeah. whatever and find all the resources there. It's like, no, check, check out our site where we have all our information on our ecosystem yeah. for you. Exactly. exactly. Got it. Cool. So then the, like, it's interesting because you have like a, a second order customer hero thing, right? Because, and y- you are having your customer, the ecosystem builders be the hero of their own story, literally. Yep. Right. But and also, and also figuratively, but then you're p- helping them through that position, their ecosystem players, like the entrepreneurs as the heroes and their, mm. their story. Yeah. So did that mean you had like, even though it, it may not technically be a, a multi-sided market in that capacity, or maybe it is, you can kind of elaborate on that if you want to, but how much does that second order thinking like come into play when you're thinking about customers?
0: Yeah. I think what's really interesting about the model is that what we have to do, we have a very deep expertise of ecosystems, right? We have seen so many of them maps so many of them. So we really understand things such as like how ecosystems are structured, how information flows through them, where the barriers are. But our And that is all reflected in the product itself, right? But our customers understand their ecosystems. They understand the unique dynamics of the entrepreneurs or the businesses that they are working with. They understand the politics in their ecosystem, which is actually something that we have to help our customers work through, which I like never thought that we would be doing as a SaaS company. And so really how we see it is that we are trying to enable our customers to build stronger ecosystems, but there is absolutely no way that I can go build a strong ecosystem in Indiana, right? Because I don't know it. I don't know the people. I don't know how it's broken up. So what we try to do is empower our customers with like knowledge about how does this stuff work from an ecosystem perspective, so that they can translate those insights to their individual users. And it has been a challenge dealing with those two sides of the market because you asked earlier about you know is there ever any kind of problems with what the customer wants versus what the user wants, and sometimes there is a divergence where a customer will say, oh well, we really want this or a partner's want this on the platform, and we have to be like your users really don't want that. And so it's kind of this continual process of, you know, bringing our expertise of ecosystems, but really honoring the fact that the customer will always know more about their community and their ecosystem than we ever could
2: one thought that kind of came to mind was you you talked a lot about the like entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I know you're in other kind of like, you know, in the meta and some of those other types of ecosystems. Would you say that your entrepreneurial ecosystems were more of like your early adopter? And was that partly because of you having experienced that problem and kind of relating to that? And maybe how did some of that play into your strategy and starting to like do that customer discovery, all that type of process as you were kicking off Ecomap?
0: So I would say that, yeah, entrepreneurial ecosystems were 100% our beachhead for two reasons, right? One, I was starting out in that industry and we knew it was a problem there. But also, you know, we really we launched our first like version of this product in like January 2020 or the first real commercial version, right? And shortly thereafter, it became fundamental that businesses could access information about resources online. And then what we saw was that people would start to reach out to us and be like, hey. Look, I know you serve entrepreneurial communities, but we're trying to help people navigate like social services or this housing ecosystem or this industry. I think your product is like what we're looking for. It could it possibly work for that? And we would always take those calls and then certainly they would describe their use case. It would be like, I, actually, yeah, no, it could. And that is actually how we understood that ecosystems were everywhere, right? A lot of people want to kind of lean back and be like, we knew this song would be getting. No, we didn't. We really just started to learn from these customer segments we chain out. And we've kind of used the insights from there to focus on where we expand because the tech can work across any ecosystem operationally. You really don't want to be in the position where you're trying to cater to everything from like fortune 100 companies and tiny nonprofits at the same time. It just makes those operations too hard.
1: So I'm curious. Since you started probably with like kind of your own, your own problem there, right? That, that was some type of starting point. Like I have this, I have this pain point. And it sounds like at at some point you then said, you know what, there are other people like me and they have this problem too. Yeah. And so what was the, can you, in a, like a few sentences, can you say like, what exactly was that problem that you were experiencing that you found others were too?
0: Yeah. It was the knowledge that there are these ecosystems all around us that are full of different organizations and resources and activity, but information about those is entirely inaccessible, right? Meaning that those networks that are so important are invisible, making them impossible to leverage.
1: And so that like in the since your customer is the is the ecosystem builder themselves. Yeah. They're probably the person within the ecosystem that has the most knowledge about what's going on around them, right? Yeah. Is that fair okay and so is there is the problem for the ecosystem builders that they did not have access to all of this information or is it the problem that the people that they were serving didn't have access to the information and they didn't have a means of like connecting those things together like or, or both
0: It's exactly that, you know, because many customers realize that they need to provide this information to their ecosystem. And what they try to do is they try to go out and manually map it, which you can do. But to manually map, you know, let's say this Baltimore's tech ecosystem, Talking about like three to four months, a lot of emails harassing a lot of partners to give them data. The data is not going to be good. Then you've got to go clean it. You've got to figure out how to tag it. Once you have all that data, you've got to put it into a platform, and you've got to find a way to design it so that it works. You've got to build all these features. And at the end of that process, you have a way for their you know stakeholders to access the information. And the ecosystem builder is out half a million dollars and six slots, right? And most organizations just did not have the resources to get that far. So they would start this process of ecosystem mapping, realize that it was important, realize that they needed to do it and present the data, but then they would not have the resources, the financial, the human resources needed to actually launch those solutions. And that is where we realized there is the opportunity, right? Can we use technology to drive down the cost and complexity of doing this ecosystem mapping and navigation so that they could have like a staff solution that has powers their ecosystem instead of breaking the bank, trying to build their own and not having resources to do any of the other important parts of their job.
3: I was just going to add, I, I think it's about how do you, how do you scale Stakeholder outreach, stakeholder success, stakeholder support, right? If, if I'm in Northern California, I go to Cam Law and I say, hey, Cam, I'm, I'm really struggling with digital marketing or, or lead gen, demand gen. Cam is going to go through his Rolodex in his head and say, okay, let me introduce you to this person and that accelerator, right? I, I, I am both limited as an entrepreneur by my own network and by Cameron's network at this point. When instead there are these networks, as Baba mentioned, that are invisible or that are formerly inaccessible that I don't have access to right now. But with something like an ecosystem map, I can find the whole repository of folks that have expertise in demand gen and digital marketing and where they are and what their experience is and so on and so forth. And so it unlocks every day, these opportunities to facilitate more success. Because you have access to this information and resources in ways that historically you didn't, so it's really this opportunity cost that we're we're trying to break down and facilitate the success of of folks within those ecosystems.
1: I just I love the I love the topic, and it's a it's a, it the the subject of of EcoMap is actually this interesting, independent of the interesting founder story. So. I'm, I'm curious, since, you know, the, the, the segment, Cameron, that you, that you laid out was you know, this idea of problem versus solution, like falling in love with the problem. And so that may have been easier for, for you guys since your origin story is in experiencing the problem, right? Whereas a lot of, you know, a lot of, we, we, we always say, all right, well, the best practice, you know, is you fall in love with the problem and then you find a solution. And we're like, but that's not how the real world works. The real world works with, you know, founders are, are, are creative people. You know, that's, that's just how, how we are. And so we come up with some solution, like, I think that would make a cool product. And then, of course, the smart ones then reverse engineer that into a problem and and stay focused on that. But it like, so the way we like talk about the arc is often, even if it's most likely to lead to success, is not really the path that most of us follow, just because that's not the way the world works. But it sounds like that was actually how it worked for you. You started with a problem. So I'm curious, like, how did you, how did you make the transition from problem to solution and what did, like, what did it take to, like, how did you keep those intention? And was there a case where you were wrong about what that solution was and had to go back to, okay, well, this is what the problem
0: is. It's funny because when I was like running the accelerators, talking to students, I would always tell them about how rare it was for a startup to have the same product when they started to like when they scaled. And Zipcar was one of like the few examples. And for a while, Ecomap was too. We had started with this idea of a platform. And when I go back and look at my first Figma mockups that I made in college, they looked remarkably similar to the platforms that we have today. And so really, you know, when you're trying to think about how do you bring visibility to data, an online platform makes the most sense, right? And so it was almost the obvious, like the solution is needing one centralized source that was accessible to everybody that it could easily navigate through. So really that directory-based online platform is kind of a natural inclusion. And then from there, a lot of it was really talking to our customers to understand what are the pain points that we could solve by like adding new features. And we did that for a while. But then what we started hearing when we were in the sales calls or talking to new customers is that they were like, okay, well, it's awesome. We love the data. You know, we love how we can see it all and access it. But some people find it hard to use. Some people don't understand what they need. They don't know how to navigate through a directory. And we started to kind of run into this friction also with customers saying, I don't know how we drive traffic to another platform. Like We can drive traffic to our site and our partner site, but we aren't sure how we drive it to a whole new platform that people have to learn. And so that really got the wheels turning about, okay... We know that we're delivering the value of making this information accessible, but the method of distribution isn't perfect, right? Because otherwise we wouldn't be hearing that feedback. And at the same time, you see like chat GPT really like taking off and that it kind of when it hit us that like the most easy way to access information is to be able to ask a question and have it understand what you need and send back the information. And that was when we realized that not as a replacement to the Map, but as a supplement we wanted to add a chatbot because it really removed all of those barriers to access. And that is really where I'm proud of how we responded by not being buried to like, oh, but we've been a platform company for three years. And instead saying, this is what is more correct to deliver that value to customers, making it as easy as possible for so their users to get the information. And so now, you know, it has changed a little bit from where we were. But the value is still the same, making that invisible information suddenly accessible.
1: Oh, that's so that's interesting. So you had that the core sort of obvious like, okay, we're going to do a data viz thing. So that yeah. limits what you're not going to do a printed book, right? Like, so you're gonna, you're, you're right? So but then you're like, okay, well, but in order to get there, like, we also have to solve these other problems, yeah. right? There's a data collection problem and a management problem and an outreach problem and and yeah. everything else that goes along with that. Very cool. Very interesting.
2: I just, just want to like pull out, I think just maintaining that like loving of the problem, right? Like I think that genuine curiosity to understand the needs of the customer at at every level of that scale, right? From the entry point of, I just need to visualize the data to then having that conversation with them to understand, okay, well, what's additional pain points in using this to, to achieve your actual goals, right? It's yeah. like, Here's your plethora of features and just throw it at them. It's genuinely understanding what that problem is. And then you could ultimately do that and connecting it to technology as that, that driver to, to ultimately create that solution. It wasn't, oh, chat GPTs out there. Let's go create something to create yeah. it versus hearing this, this customer problem and pain point and identifying what a potential solution might be. So just wanted to, I think, pull that point out is it's not just like, you love the problem at the beginning, you create the solution. It's a, Yay, we never have to think about the problem anymore. It's how is that refined <laughs> as you continue to engage customers? And I can imagine as you move from, say, your early adopters in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, as you kind of move in that, you know, we talk about the diffusion of innovation curve, right? So as you get to more of that early majority, the needs somewhat change of that customer when you're targeting a different type of group and so maintaining that ethos of loving that problem and understanding those needs is a really key element of it. And I,
3: and I think the, I, that's really interesting, Cam. And I think the other thing that, that we've learned and sort of cemented at EcoMap is that at base, we're, we're really a data and information company, right? So like, if you look at the platform, if you look at the chatbot, those are channels by which to distribute data and information. Uh, but at base, what we do is, regardless of the channel, regardless of if you say, hey, send me a spreadsheet, what we do at base is we collect this information, we organize this information, and we keep this information perpetually up to date, right? The channels by which that information is distributed by way of the ecosystem is going to evolve over time, right? It's It was a platform. It's going to be a chatbot. I don't know what it's going to be in in five, 10 years, right? It might be something different, but at our core, what we do really, really well, really, really uniquely is collect hard to access information, organize that information in a way that people can understand and keep that information up to date. And so I think there's some element of truly understanding what your differentiators are as a business, as a company. Uh, And then the solutions can grow and evolve as technology changes, as needs change, but cementing and anchoring in on that, on that core differentiator, I think has also been something we've been pretty good at over the years. So I think we, this really great, because I think you guys
1: have just kind of transitioned us into, into our second topic here, which is, which is great, right? This idea of like that, okay, there's problem solution, but that all that comes in the context of a person, of a customer. Of an ecosystem and like having to figure out who who they are, right in the in the grand scheme of things. And this is where a lot of founders I see make a mistake. And like I'll, I'll just say, like we'll do a counterfactual where you guys where you guys made this mistake, right? So to be like, okay, okay, we're doing this data viz project, and and that's and that's all we are. Like we have this core thing, and I think it's awesome sauce. And so then you start, you know, talking to customers, and they're they don't, they don't get it. Right, that's usually the how founders face it. They don't get it, which is just like a big red flag. And <laughs> <Each laughs> a founder says customers don't get it, I'm like, okay, sit down because I'm about to rock your world.
3: Uh, but <laughs> 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 uh, but and then he uh, hit my card. Hey, yeah. go, go to him for <laughs> <this time>. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but uh, like the the
1: mistake where they'd be like, okay, so they don't get it, so. Uh, now, let me go find a customer who just needs the state of it, right? And we're like, yeah. and because the 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 thing that was missing there was, yes, they like the solution. they do they had the problem, we validated that, and it's great, but it's in the context of a bunch of other problems that they have, too. And then so it's like the, they have all this other stuff going on in their lives, and so you end up with a problem. It doesn't matter how like bad the problem is if they don't have urgency to solve it because they have fifteen other things on their on their list. And then if you, on top of that, create like an, an adoption cost, like a mm-hmm. friction to yeah. adopting, like, oh, well, it would be great, but I can only get this like ecosystem map. If I actually have the data for it and can get it in there, then you're like, okay, so that, well, wait a minute here. That's probably, that's also a problem that they have. And so, and that's problem just by definition has to come before, before this one. It's just, mm-hmm. So we have to solve that one in order to do this one. And that's not always yeah. Of course, university, of the right approach, like let's just keep solving problems for the, team, for the same customer. But in this case, it's obviously th- it's thematic. It makes sense. It's very linear and, 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 and it makes sense. But like, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing, right? It's, there's context to your customer. Yeah. And you know,
0: I want to go so far to uh, say, you no, know, we didn't make that mistake uh-huh. because actually we did in a certain way. When we realized that the market was so big because ecosystems were everywhere, what we did is we became very generalized with how we described our solution and our value. So we went from saying, we build products that help your entrepreneurs find resources to saying, we build platforms to help people navigate your ecosystem. And what we found is that we actually started like seeing lower conversions because we lost the applicability and the urgency in each segment. And in our mind, we were being brilliant because we were making something that we could tell (laughs) anyone, but in reality, you had a university meeting it and it's not saying help your students, you know, find the professors that they need, right? Or like help your industry association members drive value through connecting with each other. We were saying map your ecosystem, help them find assets within these invisible networks. And this is something we're actively walking back. And we identified that problem. But after, you know, we raised a bunch of money, we decided to go all general and we lost the context of each customer segment. And we learned a really hard, honestly expensive lesson about having to refocus because you can never divert too far from your customers, like most urgent value and how they experience it. And we had to learn that the hard way about like expanding throughout verticals by not keeping that in mind. So. Yeah, definitely, we did make that mistake, but we just got lucky that we had such a strong core market that so we were able to, you know, address it and slowly walk it back.
1: Oh my gosh, that's brilliant! And there's several lessons, right? There's the lesson of potency. Oftentimes, when if something doesn't resonate with the customer segment, you know, and our our, our tendency will be like, well, if I, I mean, really, this could be for anybody, so let's broaden the language to to anybody. And I like to do like the Alexander the Great thing, right? Who said like to defend everything is to defend nothing, right? So to market to everyone is to market to no one. But at the same time, if you think about it, just in terms of the word potency and what that means, potency is a a function of concentration, right? The more concentrated something is, the more potent it is, the more focused it is, the more potent it is. And so our natural inclination to say, let me go broader because if I go broader, nobody can tell me no. And that's true. But if you go broader, no one will also tell you yes. And that's kind of worse,
2: right?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. We learned that the hard way by, you know, it's a good lesson to learn. Well,
2: one of the things that I think is key there, too, is just the language that you used at the concentrated level to the broader scale, right? So I would say I'm fairly in-depth in ecosystem building and the jargon and context, right? And it's definitely a very jargony industry, but the more specific it is, the more relatable it is to person that you're trying to to target. When you were kind of obviously you were steeped in that work as you were trying to like build your own solution, and so you had some of that language. But did you ever have, in kind of like early on, where some of the language you were you that you were using wasn't resonating with the the customer? And and it maybe it wasn't that you you're saying the same thing, but you're using different words or language to speak to that. And when you maybe made that switch and opened these doors and really getting those customers to convert and, and ultimately grow.
0: Yeah, I would say that is exactly the mistake that we made when we started just using ecosystem everywhere instead of using entrepreneurial community or industry network. And we saw like... When we launched a brand new website at the ML last year, we had to do it right on the dotted line. We just got a bunch of big press for something. So we wanted to update our website and it was very general language. And the website was a lot better. It was a lot more, you know, like beautiful, easier to navigate, understand. But the language was so general and we saw an immediate dip in conversions. And as we started to adjust our sales and our marketing materials to be more specific, we have seen the conversions increase again. But like, I still need to go redo that whole website, frankly.
2: I I even just love that, like it's, and I know we'll talk in, in future sessions around kind of testing, but like having that mindset to even recognize that that, was, that language shift was part of the reason and say, okay, well, we now recognize that that was the issue. Let's go back to, to the drawing board to get back to the conversions that we were having. But it's, it's one, measuring that and having the evidence to say, this isn't working, okay, we do know what was working, and let's go back to those things and continue to to change that from from here on out. So I think that that's just again a, a key lesson for early stage founders is just to like have that intensity to test and have these kind of metrics to demonstrate. At what point do you need to to shift? If you don't have any baseline, how do you know when to go continue to go forward or go back to what you were?
1: So when it comes to this subject of specificity and and knowing your customer and like going from problem to solution and and understanding context and space, you know, I think it'd be helpful really quick if we just, you know, actually talk about some tools that uh, founders can use if they're trying to go through this process. And yeah, it's oftentimes in the real world, we don't make use of these tools. And I think that that's a, that's a shame, though granted not using the tool is probably better than misusing the tool, but let's not get me on a rant. And one of my favorite tools that I, that I mentioned at the top of the show is the customer personas. And a tool is probably a strong word for, for what that is. But if you're curious for the one that I use, you can check out the show notes. There's a link there to, to download a tech template in Jam that you can use to actually create customer personas. But the basic idea is it's just a map of exactly who the customer is. It's, a, it's like a, a semi-fictionalized version, right? Where we can say like, oh, we're serving you know these ecosystem builders. So we're going to talk about, I don't know ecosystem emma or something something like that where we create this semi-fictionalized version and then you know we create detail on it and this is where the the real value in the tool is helping us get specific and because the the challenge that that we have again is like specificity feels wrong it just feels so very wrong and and so i like to to tell you know founders that that you want to get specific and you want to get so specific that it makes you uncomfortable like that's like three people. That's too specific. You know, get so specific it makes you uncomfortable and then actually get one or two clicks more specific after that to actually have some place because it's just a starting point, right? You can always expand later when you have the resources, but how do you get the resources by getting the customers, right? So it's, it's a slow down to, to speed up thing. And so like a common, you know, persona will have like demographics and psychographics and things like that as well. You know, like understanding personality because they'll tell you about the messaging that can that can work. You know, a value prop that's playful and fun isn't going to work for a Fortune 500 C-suite executive, but that will work really well for probably somebody in an entrepreneurial ecosystem. I'm making shit up about your business now, which is probably a terrible thing to do since you're the experts and sitting right here. But <laughs> but, uh, but you can make that up, right? But then you know, also looking into like you know who their influences are, and what their goals are, and what they need, what their motivations are, their pain points. You know, as we already talked about, the problems that they have, their interests you know, how they think about things. Are they analytical or are they more creative? And, because all of those things tell us how to think about how they're thinking about things. And if we can understand all of those little details, then it tells us like, okay, I think that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reach out to these people on LinkedIn. I'm going to start sending some in-mail, you know, try to get some, some relationship started because these people are probably easy to find on LinkedIn. So maybe I'll start there. What kind of message is going to resonate with them? Well, you can go back and say, with this ecosystem Emma person that I made up, like is does that person with that message make sense to them? Or is this the kind of thing, or do we have a mismatch there that it gives you a place to start? So that's one of my favorite tools. I don't know do you guys have any other tools that you love to, to use for something like that.
3: Yeah. I think the, the concept of customer personas is, is really interesting and, and really a challenge for us. I mentioned at the top, like our gift is our curse in a number of ways. And so I, I just did saw this work, ironically, yesterday, and I, I look across some of our, our segments and, you know, you might see government membership org focused on diversity, right? But then you might see government not focused on diversity, focused on startups broadly, not a membership org. And so for us, it's a matter of trying to f- strike the right balance between being specific as mentioned. But also being opportunistic when someone else might identify a way to leverage this tool or technology and then taking those learnings and then scaling that across multiple other segments or similar and adjacent segments. And so I think for for us, it's been really interesting to see sort of the beachhead of entrepreneurial ecosystems and what that has evolved into, industry associations and nonprofits, so on and so forth. And so My recommendation in terms of tooling is like, just start somewhere, right? Like it's going to be wrong. You have to test, you have to get it out there and also don't miss opportunities to learn. So like I will almost, and, and Pavel would probably kick me under the table, but I would almost take any call with anyone who is interested in learning and then bring it back to the house and say, this is what I heard. Are we doing this? If not, why not? If we are, like, what else does this mean? Like, what are the ramifications for that? And so I think for us, it's been hugely helpful to just be open about taking these conversations because that is what has unlocked some other segments, even when it felt like at the time, this might be too much or we're stretching too broadly or the tech isn't really designed to to meet that need. And we try to be open and honest with, you know, prospects and future customers about here's where we are here's where we think we can go and here's the problem we think it can solve today is will that work for you yes or no and so i think flexibility and learning are really what shine through when i think about customer cohorts and personas for us specifically because of the applicability of the platform it's a little bit it's definitely a challenge for sure I I love
1: what you started with there about having a bias toward action. Yes, right. The, that's the other mistake, right? That we all and we all make this. All of humanity, humanity universally makes the mistake of like let's stay in our heads and think mm-hmm. because it's safe there, and not actually picking up the phone and get taking that call at where rejection is just waiting for us at least mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, right. Not, even if not, even not all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, having a bias toward toward action is that's that's super wise. Yeah, I've
3: had a lot of conversations that where I've learned something and brought it back and folks have said, we're not doing that right now. I've had a lot of those conversations, but it's something you keep in your back pocket as you think about what 2024 and beyond looks like, right? Here's what I learned here. Here's, here's where folks are. And if we were to tackle that segment, here's what we would need to do, right? Like that's, that's learning too. And, and saying no, I think is, is something I'm trying to get better at personally, for sure. Right. And no is a powerful,
1: yeah. very, very powerful word. And so, and we have to say no a lot more than we are comfortable with, but it's like your, your point about like, let's get the data in, let's get the information in. And then we can intentionally say no to these things, but with the, with the understanding of, of, okay, now we have this information, this is an informed decision and we can always come back to this later. We put that in our bank, you know, our market opportunity, you know, grab bag there. And we can always come back to these opportunities in the
2: future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a a great segue to that last element here of prove it all night in terms of you know taking action to ultimately you know gain insights from your customer and you can't learn just by necessarily sitting on the on the sidelines. You got to have those customer calls and really understand those na- needs that they're getting into. And I think that just conversation between uh, Sherrod right there was you know having those conversations and really hearing you know, the, the customer a lot of times you know we see people try to lead them to the solution right? so it's like oh i'm having this conversation you know is hey is this a problem for you navigating your ecosystem right mm-hmm. leading them to that efficacy of that evidence is is pretty poor and so i'm curious just in terms of kind of like your practice as a team at Ecomap, how did that kind of look in that early stages of some of the customer discovery? You know, how did you kind of set up those questions? And then I think the other element is just, how did you maintain that information as a team? You're sourcing all this great data that helps you make decisions along the line. Some of it you have to say, no, not now, but yes, this is maybe what we want to hop into. And so curious kind of how that operates, both one in terms of having those conversations, but also how are you building that portfolio of evidence to make decisions here and now and then in the future?
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, I would actually say that that is one of the things that we didn't do the best job of until recently. You know, we knew like we are literally an information company, but for a while we weren't minding our own information ecosystem, right? We weren't really finding a systemic way to collect this insight and then analyze it and use it at the right time. And it just became kind of ridiculous at a certain point when we were like a company who is known for getting this data and accessing information and updating. And then our internal like notion was an absolute shambles. And so it's been a continual process to really identify where we want to store that knowledge and at what points we want to pull it back out. Because one thing that we did learn is that a lot of things would just kind of fly by the wayside where we'll be like, I just had this pull. I have all these really great insights. This has got to be transformed for a roadmap. And then we'll like throw it in notes somewhere and we'll never circle back. Right? So we've had to get really good about processitizing that information. And when you have information, making sure it lives in the right place and you remember to circle back to it. Because if you don't, all of those insights kind of fall by the wayside. And it was a very ironic problem for us to learn as an information company.
3: How do you actually store and track like that information? Today, today we use HubSpot CRM where we log all of our conversations and our learnings. And as Pava mentioned, we are, I think just now getting pretty good or better, I should say, at communicating that from the revenue operation side of the house over to the development operation side of the house. One of the nice things about Pava and I as a team is that like she does DevOps largely and I do RevOps largely. And so we do have some baked in communication there, but as the team has grown, that's become harder and harder. Like there are obviously things happening that she and I don't have any real insight into. And so I think facilitating solutions and processes and tools to help make sure that those are connected is really important. And so I always say like, I can tell what you care about by looking at your bank account and your calendar. And so like when we encounter a problem, I really try to like get something on the calendar. I try to make it recurring because that to me will force us to then think about that problem heading in to those meetings. Right? So we just had one of our DevOps, RevOps syncs today, like getting that on the calendar forced that communication to happen and now those lines of communication are opened in ways that they historically haven't been so it's like tracking it right now we're using hubspot but you can use anything historically we use notion use a spreadsheet but then i think it's like carving out time to make sure that you're interfacing with the right folks internally or externally to have those conversations
2: i love that Uh, looking at your your bank account and calendar and i think that if you apply that to like the customer persona right is like what are they spending their money on to like solve some sort of problem oh, or boy. need and then what are they meeting a lot to so, oh, so like have that need so i am thinking through there might be some some new new way to like help entrepreneurs see like hey take this mindset of your your customer what are they currently spending yeah. their money on to solve some sort of pain points and that's kind of that existing alternative or, or things out there that they're ultimately trying to have solved. And then, where are they spending their their time? Both maybe from a work or, you know, ultimately trying to create a solution. So yeah, I love that one. You know, certainly for internal and tracking your information and, and making decisions. But you know, kind of bring it back to some of that customer element, I think that that could be a good persona that, to bring in.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: So you guys mentioned. Earlier on in the conversation, some things that you were, that you discovered from customers or that you were wrong about, what are the, how did you go about the process or maybe share some war stories, you know, of how you went about learning that you were wrong? It could be simple as conversations, or it could be as robust as sophisticated experiments or obviously no wrong answers. And this is very stage dependent, right? It's like, um, I'd love, love to hear some examples.
0: I think one kind of product market insight that we had missed early on was that we were kind of under the assumption that because we made these platforms for different ecosystems, that our customers would be responsible for kind of sharing them and promoting them and getting them out to their users. Because why would, why would we? And what we ended up finding out is like we'd get on some calls with people kind of at year one and they'd be like, we love the tool. The data is great. The people who are on it love it, but we're having trouble getting people, you know, to find it and use it. And then we would say like, Well, do you promote it? Do you send out a newsletter with it? Like, do you share it on social networks? Then they were just like, oh, well, no. And what we realized is that our customers were largely getting our tool because they don't have a lot of time and capacity, nor do they have a lot of technical expertise. And so we had assumed that they would be able to kind of manage the distribution of the tool and get their users bought on, but that ended up being another bottleneck that our customers were facing that we were not planning to have to solve but we realized that it was important to our long-term product value, right? If the users weren't finding the platforms and using them, like, yeah, technically that's on our customer, but we're holding the bag because if people are not using it, they won't renew. So we actually had to sit down and think, okay, how do we productize the action of driving engagement, right? How do we provide support Mm -hmm. to our customers at scale for promoting their platforms and for generating social media content and for sending email newsletters? which was not a part of the equation we thought we were going to have to own. But it ends up that because customers get us, since they don't have time and since they don't have technical expertise, it is actually a part of that customer journey. And we were lucky we realized it in year one, because if we had realized it in year two, we probably would have churned those customers before we could have created a solution to serve them. Wow,
1: interesting. And how did you, so you learned that just through conversations with them? Like you really just talked to them and they were telling you like, We have this we have this problem.
0: Yeah. And it was really kind of that that exact conversation of people being like, you know, we love it, but we're having trouble with people finding it. They'd be like, okay, well, tell us are you distributing it? Like are you emailing people? And they'd just be like, We aren't. And then I would sit there on those calls and try to hide my face, being like, So you're telling me you're upset that no one's finding your platform, but you have done nothing to distribute it. And then (laughs) there was amazing how that works. I know. And to us, I was like, what are you saying? Do you get it? But then I realized that to them, like they aren't marketing people. They aren't technical people. They don't know how to automate newsletters. They don't know how to get these social media posts. All these things that we kind of take for granted. And so it was through that realization, those exact conversations that I ever met, We may find it ridiculous that we're sat here trying to help distribution and engagement. But there's a very real need of our customers. So how do we build a, a product around that? And we launched a whole new engagement, you know, support package. And it's gone really well because it's solving that problem. But it was all found out through those conversations and me sitting there like, are you kidding? That's why no one's using it. And then realizing that it was a legitimate problem that these customers were facing that wasn't related to the product but related to the distribution.
1: And is this like, is this something that would have shown up in the, in your metrics, if like, if you were looking at, like, if you were measuring, it's just, to name an example, like if you were like, okay, we're looking at traffic on the site, right? Because it's like your balance sheet really didn't change, right? Because they still had the customer, you didn't, hadn't turned them yet. They just weren't, the second order customer wasn't really, wasn't really coming through. So it's like, is that something where you, you could theoretically have picked that up through through analytics, you know, metrics, behavioral analytics, whatever? Or is that something that like, really, this is the kind of thing you would have had to discover just with a face-to-face conversation with a customer?
0: You know, I think that by the time we realized it and picked it up through analytics, it would have been too late, right? And you, you had asked earlier about kind of tools that we use to discover these things. And this is more of a thought paradigm. But one of the things I kind of default back to when you talk about the bias towards action and the need for speed is that like, If you measure things, right, using data over time, you are going to be much more accurate using numbers, using analytics, right? Your accuracy is going to be much closer to 100% compared to gut instinct. However, in many circumstances, especially at high growth startups, by the time you get the data that you need to know that for sure, it's too late to act. So we probably would have seen it eventually in our analytics, right? We would have seen that there is a very high level of user engagement, but a very low traffic volume we would have seen it show up in churn of our customers. But by the time that we had seen that through data, it would not have given us enough time to actually set up a solution. And so I'm in like a constant battle with a lot of the very like data minded and very people who like that systems oriented approach. And I'm over here being like, trust your gut. But I think this is one of those scenarios where had we waited to see it in the analytics data, which we could have, it would have been too late.
3: Hava's talking about me, by the way
0: one when... <laughs>
3: <laughs> not only you sir um, <laughs> well, so,
1: I, I actually I I do want to like stomp this this point here is I, I I'm sure Cameron and I will have a whole show at some point on this concept which it, the technical term is 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 innovation accounting for for those of you who are keeping track at home but the like cuz it's a really really important point and is so often in really early stage startups, like like let's just say pre-seed, like really, really early idea stage and, and beyond, people start looking at these, the, the med- they try to measure things that actually don't matter yet. So things like, and those are often the balance sheet stuff like sales or market share, which are functionally zero, right? But they're also, or, but you could also be looking at things where you do have, they're not, they're not actually zero, right? We're actually are getting this data in and there and the data is interesting, but they are lagging indicators of success as opposed to leading indicators of success right and so we have to like change our our minds our, our like our mindset into like not let's not think about what we can measure that tells us if yesterday was a good day let's talk about what we can measure today that tells us is tomorrow going to be a good mm-hmm. day and those are two, and oftentimes there's two very different things. And sometimes in early stage startup, that measurement, the thing you're measuring is going to be the number of conversations that you have with customers, or it's going to be something qualitative that you can't put. It's not, we're looking for X percent of this versus Y percent of, of that. We're looking at, no, like our customer's eyes lighting up when they're telling us how it went the last week, right? It could be something completely different. So, I really wanted to footstop that because that was a, yeah. it's, could, that could have flown under the radar. And I think it was a, a really important point.
2: Well, I just think in practice, too, a lot of times we always see you know I'm gonna go launch this survey to to see if there's interest, and the uh-huh. question is, are you interested in this, yes or no? I's like, well, yes, I'm interested because there's no nothing on the state for me saying no, and so is that actually evidence of you potentially having a customer or is that leading you down a path that doesn't actually get you there and so balancing that qualitative and and quantitative is certainly key, and it sounds like between Pava and Sherrod, you have that good, good balance there and open dialogue around that. So that's awesome. So I, thanks again for, for sharing that, that story.
1: Well, that's probably a good segue here off because we are, we are running out of time. But before we leave, we do want to share some frivolous thoughts as we do at the end of every show, whether they have something to do with startups or not. So let's, we'll start with our, with our guests. That way we don't steal anything they might want to to talk about here. <laughs> so I don't know. So Pava, what, what's a frivolous thought? What's well, on so your I'm mind? So I'm kind of
0: worried way? that uh, with four people in the room, somebody's going to say SVB. So I'm going to take a little bit more nuanced view of that. I think what's been on my mind a Love lot it. over the past weekend is the importance of like regional banks, and this is one of those very niche topics where a lot of people like don't care, but like local banks are super important to local economies and local ecosystems. And so I've just been thinking a lot about how the situation that unfolded over the weekend is impacting those local and regional banks, which are really linchpins of a lot of economies. And so that's it. That's all I'm going to say about SVB because I know there's a lot to unpack there, but just regional local banks, they're very important and we should keep our deposits with them.
1: I have not thought about that angle because like SVB is obviously on on everybody's mind. But now that you now that you mention it, when I think like I'm not an ecosystem builder like Cameron's an ecosystem builder, but I play one on TV basically, right? Like I'm involved <laughs> in those kinds of things. And it it's until you just said that I hadn't realized like how often it is that we get one of those local or regional banks that are sponsors of programs that are actually putting yeah. you know dollars and time like back into ecosystem that's like a small I know that's not your your broader point but that just just clicked for me
3: Great point. Uh, I'm the uh, I'm the dumb business guy I'm thinking a lot about March Madness guys I, I, I must <laughs> I, gonna be uh, in the final four and how accurate Arizona. will be uh, and all of that so Tomorrow and and Friday and the weekend are a couple of the best sports days of the year, I think. So that's I'm thinking so you you've got a bracket. bracket. What's that? You've got a bracket. Oh yeah, I've got a bracket. I'm in a pool. I'm I'm doing a lot of different things. JDF. who so. do you
0: have? You gotta tell I them have, so who wins.
3: I have in the final four. I've got wait. B- before before
1: <laughs> you say that, just just fair warning that the <laughs> that by the time our users are listening to this, they're gonna know. If I you know. Right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
3: For sure, I think it's going to be. I think Houston has a really good chance. I think Texas has a really good chance. I really like UConn. The Connecticut Huskies are kind of my my sneaky. I think they're a four seed. I like Zona. I like Zona to come. I believe they're playing in the South, maybe the Midwest. Can't remember off the top of my head, but those are those are the four teams I'm I'm hoping for. I'm sure they'll lose. Week, week one or week two now, so I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about it, so that's my privilege thoughts. That's great. Awesome. Cameron, well, I think, well, building on that,
2: it was funny. I actually saw a video, and it was someone using chat GPT to create their Marsh Madness. I love it.
0: Brilliant.
2: And pick their so, the way to so on we'll, 2021 data. Good job. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I thought that that was Quite interesting. My my frivolous thought. I, I switched it up here. I was just traveling fairly recently, and on my multiple hour journey, I rewatched The Matrix, and I, I didn't realize where I, I didn't actually get it when I was young watching it. I like was attracted by the action and all that type of stuff, but then to really like understand what the The Matrix as a movie was getting across, I was like, oh, this is a very interesting book now with all the, our movie with all the growing artificial intelligence and all that stuff out there. So I'm definitely thinking differently about all the tools we're certainly using, uh, but nonetheless, that's my my frivolous thought was um, rethinking after seeing the matrix, uh, my thoughts on
1: So what was the thing that like what stood out to you is like, oh, I didn't realize that
2: when I was younger. So I didn't, I, I, didn't actually. I don't think I didn't got any of the movie when I first saw it. It was just like cool, like Neo can like, you know, move out of bullets and those types of things. God, obviously that he was in a, another simulation, but I didn't know they were using humans to be the energy to power the artificial intelligence, and that's why they were in the simulation to keep people going. And so I was, ah, that's a now I see the connection there of what that ultimately means versus it just being this person has like these crazy super power type beings <laughs> so shows my ignorance when i was young i just liked the action part <laughs> uh, so i will uh, take
1: kind of a, a different approach we we're all over the spectrum today so i love us our our, our frivolity is everywhere <laughs> like we got march madness we got movies we've got SBB and some a very serious topic there so i actually my my frivolous thought here is an article in the new yorker which i will put in the show notes and the title of the article is the dubious rise of imposter syndrome and i found it's it's actually super interesting by leslie jameson and it's a it's a long it's one of the new yorkers long-form pieces and it's on the, the actual rise of what was originally called the imposter phenomenon and it was an observed thing as opposed to a Syndrome and it kind of evolved into this thing that we call a syndrome today. There's a lot of interesting points in the article. I don't agree a hundred percent with with all of them, but it was super interesting, but it had me thinking about that with regard to entrepreneurship because one of the things that I often like to say is that you know all entrepreneurs like we will constantly everybody feels imposter syndrome to to some to some degree like I don't I know don't really, but the, my problem is with it has always been that it's not a syndrome speaking specifically to entrepreneurs right because we are imposters. Like we are, we're, we are making a claim to value that doesn't exist yet. By definition, we're imposters, and we have to like sit outside in that discomfort as the work of an entrepreneur. So it almost seems like it's the very thing that we're signing up to do. So there's something interesting and 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 circular about that. So I I just I recommend if you want to you know grab a cup of tea and read a long form piece in the New Yorker. I do recommend <laughs> that. That piece by Leslie Jamison. Before we close out, where can we find you guys on the internet?
0: Yeah. So we got kind of lucky with the name Ecomap Technologies. So we're on, you can go to ecomap.tech. That's our website. And then you can find us on all social media platforms at Ecomap Tech. So E C O You'll find Sherrod and I through there. We have, we're not the biggest social media people.
1: (laughs) Okay. Great. well, we'll put those uh, those links down in the show notes as well. So check them out. Hopefully, you find that subject matter as interesting as Cameron and I do. So that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening to this. You can also subscribe to the show on our free Substack if you want to stay in the loop on all things startup and traction. Uh, which you can get to at uh, zerodetraction.show. And if you found this interesting or helpful or insightful, I know I did, then be sure to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening to this. Our our relevancy is truly dependent on the algorithm, not to to hype matrix again too much here, (laughs) but we must appease the artificial intelligence overlords. So please help us out by dropping a (laughs) review of... Preferably of the five-star variety. But if you want to drop something angry in there, <laughs> hey, engagement is engagement and we'll take it. So that'll really help us out. So that's it. We will see you in two weeks. Until then, thank you guys so much for joining us.
0: Thank you Bob.